0: Recently on Tender, I reflected on what it means to live in a body where your past experiences haunt your dreams relentlessly. And I also realised that I have a lot of anger. That women do generally. And sometimes it's just a matter of sitting with that. Of feeling it all. And since that time, something has changed in me. Something terrifying. Overwhelming and frustrating as heck. I realized that in the entire time that I've been tackling this abuse retrospectively, I've had a man by my side, a loving, a humble, and a wonderful man at that, but somebody else no less, who swept in and ticked all of my crosses in a bid to keep me safe, to keep me well, to keep me grounded. As I reach the tail end of this journey, I keep wondering if I'm just waking up each morning and putting on the Madison is all better and everything is fine ensemble outfit that I've kept stored in my wardrobe, our wardrobe, without actually sitting with my aloneness, with what happened to me and resolving it in my own space. I suddenly feel like an imposter, someone who keeps pretending to be a woman she is not, hoping that it would just stick one day. Okay. Let's have a look just there. Some kind of checklist. How to recover from emotional trauma of domestic violence. Mm. I like lists. I like feeling in control, feeling like I am, according to some higher standard, on the journey of recuperation. So when I discover a blog post written by Kelly Jo Holly about the three stages of emotional trauma recovery, I think, cool, let's see if I tick these things off. And according to the Manitoba Trauma Information and Education Center, the three stages are as follows. One, safety and stabilization. This, I think I've mastered. What or who helps me feel safe and strong? I think about the community I have found myself nestled in, and I feel nurtured, cared for. I think about my friends, and Paul, and the dog park, and my family, and I know that I am stable. Cool, okay, I'll take that one off. I think even about the community that has arisen out of tender. I think about the women I have metaphorically and sometimes literally linked arms with, about all of the messages and the incredible and vast ways in which I've been so supported. Okay, next stage, I think. 2. Remembrance and mourning Kelly writes of mourning the relationship, but not the relationship it was. Instead, mourning the relationship you thought it could become. So what does that look like? I remember sitting on the front porch of Theo's home way back when, sitting amongst a small group of friends, as Theo strummed quietly (laughs) on his guitar, and the echo of a nearby beach drummed in my ears. The night was soft, gentle, tender almost. I didn't feel terrified, like I had to protect myself. I just was. Perhaps I should mourn this night now, it and the other delicate memories I have. Theo, do you remember the first time you drove to my house? It was sometime after midnight in late January 2013. Your soft hands reeked of petrol because you nervously spilt fuel on yourself at the gas station but it didn't matter. None of it did. You and I were enamored with one another. I was light. I was a bathtub of cut roses, citrus on a hot day, the woman you always wanted until you didn't anymore. It's time for me to grieve Not only for those memories, but for the woman who really did love you. Just two nights ago, I stumbled across a photo of you and I together. We looked so young, so cheerful. It's kind of like looking at an unknown person, though. A young woman with long hair and a big, teethy grin, wearing an oversized turtleneck jumper as the wind tangles itself through her locks. You took that photo, remember? We looked so juvenile and handsome and charming and bright-eyed. I want to take this opportunity to tell this young woman how sorry I am, but I also want to tell her something else, that as much as her future with him will chew her up and spit her out, there is an older, wiser and more complex and comforting woman waiting for her on the other side. And that's me, I'm here, with open arms ready to cradle her back to health. She doesn't know how loved she is by me, how cherished. She doesn't know that in Seep's long years, she will have clarity, that the flinching will stop, that she only grits and grinds her teeth in her sleep now And even then, not as much as she used to. I feel like an enthusiastic, loving auntie or something when I looked at that old snapshot of past me. I think I'm ready to tick off number two. Number three, reconnection and integration. This is the stage I am terrified of. This is the stage that involves starting a new life, realizing that abuse no longer defines who you are. It is a chapter in a larger narrative, one that you wrote this time. I sit nervously in my psychologist's couch and tell her about my feelings right now, how I'm worried that without Paul I will crumble, crash and burn, that I need to leave this relationship To know that if I undo all of the band-aids that Paul and I have stuck carefully on every part of my body, I won't just bleed out. She understands. But she also throws something into the mix I hadn't yet considered. And that's this. Am I leaving just so I have the space, permission and time to self-sabotage? To punish myself? To feel a kind of sadness? or guilt that I've been craving. Every time Paul tells me that I'm good, that I'm kind, I want him to be quiet. There is a tiny Theo that lives in my head still, and he insists that Paul is lying. Hey Paul. Hey man Um when I when I first spoke to you about wanting to spend some time apart or wanting to be alone, what did you what did you initially think?
1: Initially, I think I found it hard to make sense of exactly why you wanted to be alone, given that my understanding of the relationship was that it was going really well. Uh, we have fun together. Um, and so it didn't really make much sense to me exactly what you thought was wrong with the relationship, um, if you did think there was anything wrong with it.
0: Did you, like, in the time that I've been making this podcast, have you? noticed any changes in me? Have you been worried about what this means for my personal growth?
1: Yeah, I think that upon reflection I came to understand that um, your the way in which you perceive yourself was not independent from the kind of traumatic experiences that you've had in the past your past relationship. And so I understood that you need to take time in order to free yourself from those sorts of um, from that sort of relationship
0: do you did you worry that i was just like self-sabotaging
1: i did feel like you were self-sabotaging um given that i didn't really see what was wrong with the relationship and it did seem like you were more interested in just trying to find ways to um escape whatever pain that you you've been feeling
0: I'm a little bit scared about... Uh, I've been talking to you about this, about, like, the end of this journey. And I, I don't want to keep this in my life the same way that it has been. I'm a little bit scared about what that means. Um, what do uh, you think about all that?
1: So what this means for the relationship or what this means for you?
0: I mean, both, I guess. Oh. Like, how do, like, you and I met knowing that I had been through this stuff and I brought Theo into this relationship and I'm kind of excited and I I really want to have the opportunity to date you again and to get to know you again without Theo being the third party I'm of the
1: opinion that what you had to go through was uh, a process of rediscovery and not a process of reinvention which meant that it was really a matter of you getting to know yourself but I don't think there had been any point in which I didn't feel like I knew who you were. All the wonderful bits. Who's that?
0: Who's that? I asked. Who the hell is that? But that's entirely where the problem lies, isn't it? He may know who I am. He may see how I love and what I cherish and the quirks and idiosyncrasies of my daily life. But when I looked in the mirror, I need to see the woman I described earlier my newer, better, larger, stronger self. But more often than not, I instead see that young girl, the same one with her abuser's arm draped around her shoulder. Trauma is an injury. is a wound. Mm-hmm. It's something happens to you that is too big for your mind to comprehend. This is a recording of Bessel van der Kolk speaking about trauma. Last year, I became friends with a woman named Nitya, and she recommended I give Van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score, a read. It stuck with me, primarily for its compassion and capacity to acknowledge the way trauma manifests, the shape it occupies at different moments in one's life and the non-linear path it assumes. There is a section at the end of the book that I find particularly poignant, and it reads, I wish I could separate trauma from politics. But as long as we continue to live in denial and treat only trauma while ignoring its origins, we are bound to fail. The abuse I experienced started long ago, long before I was born. It continues still to wrap its angry limbs around women all over the world. It's the same breed of hate that followed Serena Williams to the 2018 U.S. Open.
1: We as women have come a long way and um, we shouldn't have to drop to our knees at any
0: point. It's the same breed of hate that encouraged an angry, enlivened man to taunt Hillary Clinton and demand that she iron his shirt while she very powerfully made a political address leading up to the US election. Some people think you bring about change by demanding it, and some people think you bring about change by it's the same breed of hate that permitted a man I used to know who bumped into me only a matter of weeks ago to say something along the lines of, you're doing a wonderful job telling your story with this podcast. But I'm also aware that it's only one side of the story, not Theo's. And you know what? He's right. But if he wants Theo's side of the story, he just needs to look up. We live in a world that applauds and that caters for Theo's side of the story. So when I started tender, I knew it would ruffle the feathers of men. But when you're a woman who has been made to feel small in a world that drinks out of the hands of those same oppressors, you stop caring after a while. When I said earlier that I felt like I'd ripped off every last Band-Aid and leaked badness onto everything I love, I think I was right. But I've also stained something else. The source, the shitty sort of system that prides itself on itself, I stained that too. And if my bleeding did anything, it at least exposed the wound that I never asked for. And for this, I am grateful and proud. And when I think about the woman who did that, the woman who Paul fell in love with, the woman he insists he knows and sees, I think that she's strong, soft, eloquent, powerful, smart, determined, unapologetic, and here, she's not going away. I don't know if I'll ever be ready to tick off number three, if I'll ever be ready to let go of what happened. Not until the last woman whose body was found in a Chinatown alleyway is able to acquire justice. Rest in power, Natalina Angok. Not until a woman can fall asleep on a beach at night or in a park, And feel the way the breeze curls and tickles her paws beneath her blouse. And she can close her eyes knowing that she'll awake in the morning. That she won't have to fear for her life. But what I can tick off is this journey. (laughs) It's time. There is one more episode left of Tender Season 1. And it is a live show on April the 30th to celebrate my partnership with local podcast network Broadwave. It will be a grand old celebration. A night of both mourning and hopeful possibilities. But as for my story, it's time for me to close that chapter now. Every last sigh of Theo's, every last curse word has been rewritten now. So, he goes. <laughs> Thank you to Paul Mikhail Podosky for your help with this episode and for your inclusion in my life and in this journey. I appreciate you beyond words. Tender is not over. Next season, we will be following another woman's journey as she comes to terms with who she is. You can always support the show by liking us on Twitter, at Tender Podcast, by subscribing and leaving a review. I read all of them. And by attending our live show on the 30th at Loop Bar in the city of Melbourne of which the details you'll be able to find on our Twitter feed, or by generously chucking a couple of dollars this way. Every cent counts. You can visit www.tenderpodcast.tumblr.com for more information. I'm Madison Griffiths, and thank you for everything.